The headline is far too common. Prominent Christian pastor, evangelist, or leader caught in an affair, financial indiscretion, double life, or leadership failure, leaving countless wounded, confused, hurt, angry, and almost everyone questioning, how did this happen? Why did this happen? And why didn't we see it coming? The anger is justified. The confusion merited. The question's fair. That leader is responsible for their sinful, duplicitous decisions and should be held accountable. And then there's the world of the internet, where hot takes regarding any leader's moral failings abound via tweets, YouTube videos, and all manner of online content. Commentary is offered and blame is cast on everyone and everything. Everything regarding the leader and their ministry is churned up, questioned, and called into scrutiny. Every sermon ever preached, every book ever written, even their own salvation and relationship with Christ. And after they have been thoroughly scrutinized, gutted, examined, blamed, and called out, that figure and all of their contributions to the church at large are decisively and forever canceled in a terminal act of judgment, never again to be known for anything other than their failures and their sin. But is this how it's supposed to work when a leader fails us? Are we as Christians to decisively and finally cancel them and all their work? Or is there another response we're supposed to give? And if we didn't cancel them, wouldn't that just be justifying and excusing their sin? What are we to do with our questions, confusion, hurt, disappointment, and anger? And is there any hope of redemption or any road back for a leader who's fallen? Yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. It's the Beards and Bible Podcast. Get ready for the Beards and Bible Podcast. What if that was my radio voice, like old-time 1920s radio voice? Mm. What do you think, Dave? You think that would... This place, this 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 podcast would take off like wildfire. It was... Well, yeah. here we are, Beards and Bible Podcast. Everybody get ready. What today? We're talking about Christian cancel culture. What do you do, kids? When all of a sudden you're canceled by the newspapers. Yeah, no, I think think you should think you should go with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure if you just turn on this podcast, you're like, "What in the world did I just turn on? What did I just stumble into?" Yeah. <laughs> well, my name's Josh. I'm joined by my good friend Gabe. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Good. Um, yeah, we're. Episode 24, it's hard to believe that we're 24 episodes deep into this podcast. I know. That is crazy. Do you think we should do like a special silver anniversary podcast for the next episode since it's the big 2-5? Mm. Or no? Do you think that's dumb? No, I think we should. I think it'd be fun. Yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll interview like a special guest or something. We should bring mm. our bring our wives on. Ooh, that would be interesting. I'm a little nervous about that. Yeah. Yeah. Have our wives so, actually do the whole podcast. They just, like, <laughs> it's, it's four hours long. Yeah. <laughs> just keeps like going. And, <laughs> three hours later. <laughs> uh, no, my wife would, she would be good at it. She just, 
she she hates to hear herself talk. So, mm. like, if she yeah, she hears a recording of herself later. She's like, does my voice really sound like that? So, yeah, yeah. we're just talking about uh, voices and one particular internet cult sensation um, has a Kermit the Frog voice. Yeah, and it's interesting how that can make or break. You know what you're what you're saying and. Um, yeah, people, you know, rise and fall by the sound of their voice sometimes. But I think especially, like you said, in the in the 20s and 30s, the voice is everything. And especially like when FDR would come on and do his fireside chats and things. Yes. Um, it's interesting how the sound of someone's voice can be soothing or it can be... It can be like, oh my gosh, turn it off. Yeah. No, he did have a good commanding, calming presence of a voice. I feel like preachers back in the day, that was like a requirement. I think it was Spurgeon, his preacher college in London in order to be uh, admitted as a student, you had to have like a certain circumference of chest because mm. you had to have a big booming <laughs> commanding voice. And uh, there was a story about Spurgeon's voice because, you know, he was such a large fellow with a booming voice that smoked cigars. So he had this apparently deep commanding voice. I don't know if there's any audio recordings of him preaching, but um the, the story was there was a guy that was putting stained glass in the window at his church and Spurgeon got up on the pulpit and he was testing out something with the new acoustics. Cause this is before amplification, but there was something or whatever. And he just said, behold the lamb of God. And apparently the guy that was putting in the stained glass got saved just from that. So, Oh wow. <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not, <laughs> but don't think about my preaching voice. I'm like, yeah, that's probably not as good as Spurgeon's. Spurgeon was like, um, guys, watch, I'm about to wreck this guy's career. No, he's like, hey, watch this. So That's funny. Yeah. The, the, the big question is, though, when these people have big voices, quote unquote, mm. and uh, and they fall into sin or it's found out that they've been living a double life, mm. what do we do? Mm. What a segue. Mm-hmm. What a second. Well, you just went straight to it. You're like, well, he mm-hmm. may have a good commanding voice, but what if Yeah. he's a fraud? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you knew this or not, Gabe, but that's our topic for today. Oh, yeah. Well, I think, yeah. I, I, think I heard something about it. <laughs> You're like, I was just, I was just, you know, spitballing. I didn't know that was our topic today. But uh, I think, I think now, you know, like the, the, bellowing voice of you know the 17 and 1800s is the internet you know and and the availability of someone to reach millions and billions of people via the internet um and it seems like there's so many people that and so many so many great leaders in the faith that that rise up um and gain a massive following via the internet and it's all the more precarious uh, their situation is, and and when it seems like you know that voice is so powerful, either for good or for bad, um, and it, That's yeah, very it does. True. It does seem like there's sometimes a rash of, you know, you know, like say celebrities die in threes, you know, but sometimes it seems like um, great men of God. Sometimes it, it gets revealed that they're brought to light that there's things going on behind the scenes that no one knew about. And it has yeah. these huge ramifications and, and ripple effect of like um, fallout and doubt and confusion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's tough. Yeah, it is tough. And, you know, I, I think uh, 
the the big allegation I think that the most folks probably have in mind as Gabe and I are talking is um, evangelist and apologist Robbie Zacharias. On February 11th, his ministry released the results of an ongoing investigation and it concluded there was evidence, some very credible evidence, by the way, so not hearsay, but credible evidence that Robbie had engaged in sexual misconduct and um, that ranges from, and, and if you go on their website, you know, we're not going to get into all the different allegations today, but if you go on their website, you can read as much as it, as you want. But basically it was that he had solicited and received sexually explicit photos from more than 200 women. And um, also that he had used tens of thousands of dollars of ministry funds that were dedicated to what he said was a humanitarian effort uh, to pay for four massage therapists, um, housing and schooling. But the whole time he was kind of using that almost as a way to um, groom them, to sexually abuse them. And um, just some horrible things. I mean, especially if you followed his ministry for a while, I think that that was such a shock to a lot of people that have followed his ministry because he, he passed away in May of 2020. And when he passed away, none of these allegations had come to light. So after he died, uh, everybody that I was following online was gushing about how, what a man of God he was and how he finished his race. Well, and, and truthfully I was too, cause man, I, I remember listening to him, on the radio and reading his books and Gabe, did you follow his ministry at all? A little bit. Um, yeah, I would play his, his, um, videos in my classroom for Mm -hmm. students, even up until, you know, these allegations came out, I was playing his videos from time to time because, you know, I teach an apologetics class and being able to defend your faith is really important. And he did such a, just an amazing job at that. He was so gifted at that. Oh my gosh. He was probably one of the most brilliant apologists, um, that I, I can think of in the past hundred years, um, not just brilliant in terms of apologetics, but in terms of his in, speaking style, it's just incredibly engaging mm-hmm. and really appeared to have a heart for people in the sense that he would go to college campuses and basically just people would come up and ask him questions. And, you know, he would be willing to stay afterwards and talk with people and, you know, yeah. world worldwide impact, worldwide influence, massive Mm. platform. And nobody knew, nobody knew this was going on until after he died. And, um, yeah, I mean, what was your first reaction when you, when you heard about that, Gabe? I think I definitely went through the classic, like five stages of grief on that because, you know, I, I did consider him a heavy hitter of the faith. Mm-hmm. You know, even though we didn't see eye to eye on everything, uh, he was masterful communicator. Um, yeah, so I, you know, my first my first gut reaction was denial. Um, and I, I said, you know, I gotta I gotta get my eyes on what they're saying and what they're accusing him of. Um, and you go through, you know, you go through anger, you know, and and then, um, you know. What's the other one? Uh, where you're you're negotiating, right? Yeah, yeah, you're bargaining. Yeah, yeah, bargaining, and um, and then an acceptance. Um, but yeah, I think it was just just really really gut wrenching for me on a lot of different levels. Um, yeah, because every single, you know, every single um, 
debate or um, every single little, you know, interaction he had with an angry student, uh, atheist student, you know, like they're all, if they hear of this are like, ah, that's okay. So I'm, I am right, you know, and it it hardens their resolve. And, and then I'm also heartbroken for the family um, involved because, Mm. you know, he, he had a large family and they're, they're still here. They're still, um, and they're trying to run his ministry right now in the wake of everything that happened. Yeah. In the midst of all this, this fallout and everything, I cannot imagine the, you know, the amount of communication and how the, the internet is, is, is a buzz with, with everything going on. And just, um, we really need to keep them in prayer and that they would be encouraged and, and strengthened because it's so easy to write a bunch of people off because of the sin of a, of a husband or a father or whatever. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I think, um, you know, obviously my heart goes out to his victims because um, I, I can't imagine how confusing that must be to be sexually abused and sexually harassed and sexually manipulated by someone um, that claims to stand and speak for Jesus, you know, that, that claims a a kind of faith that they're representing Christ. And yet they're, um, you know, in in one instance, I think probably the allegation that was the most appalling, um, was that, uh, after he had sexually abused a woman, um, he said, let's pray together and thank the Lord for this opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, when I heard that, that just made my stomach turn because I'm just like, I don't understand. Wait a second. Like, that's not uh, that's not the Ravi Zacharias that I thought I knew, in, at least in terms of the one you you heard on the radio or the one you saw in the lectures, the one you read in the books. And I, and I think the hard part for me is um, that feeling of can we really trust anybody? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't. You know, I don't think I'm alone in that. I think there's probably I, and here's here's from a selfish perspective. Here's kind of a, just to be honest with you. Um, when I hear about this, when I read about this, my first thought, in a lot of ways, is well, that just made my job ten times harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like as a pastor, as a yeah, um, a, a leader of people, as a speaker, it's kind of just like okay, now I, um, I, I am going to have a very hard time gaining anybody's trust rightfully so mm-hmm. because of situations like this yeah Be- because i feel like it it keeps happening yeah. um you look over the course of the past 10 years you've got um you know just think here locally in the nashville area uh, there was a pretty popular pastor that was an author and speaker and he had a moral failure um you know of course carl lentz over the past year or so from Hillsong church, that was a pretty big falling out. Of course, to, to put Carl Lentz and Ravi Zacharias on the same place in terms of, um, exegetical teaching, preaching and apologetics is probably not fair, but in the same sense, Carl Lentz did have his own following, uh, Mm -hmm. in his own light, you know? So, yeah, I mean, the impact of it is not just with RZIM. The impact of it is just global and just across the church at large. And it's, it's really hard. It's really sad. I think one of the most important jobs we have is to sanctify and to make holy the name of our creator, you know, as 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 people of, of God. And when things like this happen, it grieves me probably first and foremost because it profanes his name. 
Yeah. And like you said, it, it creates more work for us in a sense. You know, now there's people who are going to be like, why should I believe what you believe? Because here's one of the, the leaders of your faith. It comes out, he's he's living this double life. And tell me, how is that any different than the world? And, you know, and I think that is, is really tough. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think, you know, this whole thing, I, I really do, I struggle with, with the Ravi Zacharias because of all the different things, you know, um, you can kind of almost see them. You could kind of look back in retrospect and be like, ah, oh, yeah, I could see where there were some red flags, you know, and oh, I could see where there was some blatant immodesty in his life or, or those kinds of things. But with Ravi Zacharias, it, it hit me hard and I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It, it really, um, it really took me by surprise and it, it felt like, you know, when you get hit playing football and you're just kind of like in a daze for a second, mm-hmm. it's kind of what it felt like for me. Um, and I, you know, I, I really did. I, of all the different scandals that, that came out, um, Robbie Zacharias was the one that probably grieved me and stunned me the most. Yeah. No, um, I, I agree with you. I got, I got a text from probably two or three guys, uh, that had followed his ministry really well. Actually, one of my really good friends who's probably listening to this podcast, he, uh, I think two separate occasions went down to Atlanta and did a week-long training with RZIM. Hmm. And uh, he taught an apologetics class at our church. And um, yeah, I mean, he, he sent me a text. And he's just like, man, this is, you know, he's like, have you heard about this? Have you seen this? And then another young man uh, who uh, is really into apologetics. And so, um yeah, I mean, I think the big question that that a lot of people are asking right now is how should we view his ministry and his work? Like over the span of, you know, thirty years, basically is is you know when he was active in terms of writing, speaking, lecturing. Mm-hmm. What do we do with all that? I mean, we've got archives and archives and archives of of audio teaching and books and lectures and apologetic methods and questions and answers. How, how should we view all that stuff? What should we do with all of the things that he contributed to the church at large in light of what we know now? Yeah. It's kind of the question that, you know, a wife will ask when her husband is caught in an affair, you know, like, did you ever love me? You know, was this ever, was this ever real? And it's a really valid question. Um, There was a young general I love American history and American military history, especially there was a young general who, um, who led, uh, the, the army of the colonies into battle battle, um, in one of the most, in a lot of historians say the most decisive battle in, in, in the American revolution. Um, and that was the battle of Saratoga. If we lost Saratoga, um, the war would have been lost and we would still be a British Commonwealth or, you know, a colony right now of, of, of Britain. We won Saratoga and the French joined our cause because they saw that, okay, these guys mean business. They're going to be successful. So the French started dedicating troops and resources to the American revolution. And, uh, but the young general who led the troops in a battle that day, um, he did so a little bit, uh, brazenly and a kind of some historians say in defiance of his superiors um mm. commands because the the commanding general uh did not want this younger general to steal the glory and have the vic- you know have the glory for 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 winning the, the the battle essentially and turning the tide of the war um but he did it and he won he effectively won saratoga and 
turn the tide of the war. And now we, here we are sitting in the United States of America, probably all due to this one man's um, decision to, to, you know, flank this British line and, and defy his superiors commands. And, you know, he saw an opportunity, seized it. But when we look back at this man, this young general, this victorious general now, um, we don't think about when we hear his name, we don't think about that. We don't hear, we don't see that. We don't envision this American war hero who turned the tide of the American revolution. Um, what we think is a turncoat. Hmm. His entire legacy is jaded by one decision, and that is the decision to switch switch sides, and that is um, General Benedict Arnold. Hmm. But most historians will agree that this young general is the, is the key figure who turned the tide in our favor, yet we don't think about any of that. And I think yeah. that's kind of translatable to these guys who have these scandals, you know, the, especially with Ravi Zacharias. They do so much good and they do, they make so much traction in terms of training and apologetics and, and biblical scholarship. And then at the end of their life or at the end of their, their ministry, there's a, a fallout and there's a scandal. It kind of overshadows and it jades their entire life and ministry and work. Hmm. And I think that that's unfortunate um, that, yeah. So in other words, not all that Ravi Zacharias did is lost. I don't think. Yeah, I think that's a really good. Wow, I mean that's a that's a great way to think about it. Um, do, do you think there's a way in which we can rep, um, we can separate his message from him? In other words, like we can appreciate how God used him through the duration of his life, while at the same time acknowledging that he was a flawed messenger. He was a broken vessel. He was not genuine. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, there's a lot of people who were born again and came to the faith through the work of Ravi Zacharias, yeah. and that is not lost. Those people are still growing and maturing and 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 sharing the gospel. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the danger. And I, you know, I go back and kind of analyze all of this, which we may get into a little bit later. It's like if your faith, guys, anybody listening to this podcast, if your faith is hanging on one particular person or celebrity or hero or mm-hmm. apologist, you're wrong. You need, you need to not do that. Unhinge, yeah. you know, <clears throat> yourself from that person and instead ground your faith in the word of God and, and you know, the, the, your, your own testimony. Um, and yeah, you know, put stock in leadership and have, have a, th- you know, biblical authority over you to hold you accountable, but your faith should not rise and fall on on human beings by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. Um, I think a question that I have, and maybe a lot of people listening probably have, is how does, like this is all too common, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, just a couple of names, Carl Lentz, Ted Haggart, Pete Wilson, Perry Noble, Mark Driscoll, Darren Patrick. I could go on and on and on. Robbie Zacharias now. Why, why does this keep happening? This is this is such a common headline. This is so cliche. We're we're getting to the point where we see this. It hurts, mm-hmm. and it's surprising for some folks. But in other senses, it's kind of like, well, all right, well, I guess we could have seen that one coming. Um, yeah. How does it keep happening, and why does it keep happening? Um, I think I think one factor is that 
the target. Well, first of all, we forget that we're in. We forget that we're in warfare. Yeah. And one of the best strategies and tactics of our enemy, Satan, is to lull us into thinking that we're not in combat. So, meanwhile, as people gain in popularity or influence, the target on their back is growing commensurate with that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, so the more influence they get, the bigger the platform they get, the more spiritual attack they're oh, under. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and here's the thing is, and going back to American history, I love studying and comparing the leadership of of two great generals, Robert E. Lee and, and Ulysses S. Grant. One rode around on his horse, you know, traveler with straight back, perfect posture, you know, impeccable uniform, a beautiful polished saber. And he would ride around, you know, down the dirt roads of Virginia and his men would steer up or his men would stand, stand up and cheer him on. Um, you know, these men who had been marching for days on end with very little food and they would just jump up and they would start cheering this, this man on and it would kind of get into his head a little bit. And, mm. you know, he's like, I can push my, push my men further. I can, we can go farther. And he, he became like this, this cult sensation, almost like this messianic figure to the army of Northern Virginia. Mm. And, um, and then you look at compared Ulysses S. Grant. He he, oftentimes wore the uniform of a private, um, was covered in mud, um, was sleeping out with his men under the stars, and yeah. um, you know was was a, kind of a, a man of the people, so to speak. And um, even to the point where they go to surrender in, at Appomattox Courthouse, Lee is actually snuffed by and offended by Grant's appearance. Yeah. Um, and how just disheveled he looks. But I think all that, to me, it's like, as leaders, um, we can we can be put on a pedestal by other people, and that gives us this sense of, like, I'm invincible. You know, yeah. this, and, and, and other people think the same thing about us. Like, man, he is, he is untouchable. You so know? it's almost like a leader begins to read their own press. Right, right. Yeah. <clears throat> and they start thinking, well, everybody thinks this about me. It must be true. Yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. tends to go to, yeah, and that pride produces, you know, this this um, inability to to see uh, the holes in your own defenses, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think the thing that most people don't, <sighs> I'm going to be careful how I say this because, I mean, just, <sighs> so I think most people don't realize how um, absolutely toxic and addictive and intoxicating um applauses mm -hmm. like in the sense of when you are on a platform in front of thousands of people or when you have a video that goes viral or you are well known for something or you accomplish something and people are applauding you and people are um you know that's what you're getting it yeah. it it can become intoxicating to where you're not thinking clearly because it's almost like the Midas touch syndrome. Everything that you touch turns to gold, so it seems. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like this an entitlement mentality creeps in and just says, well, I've done all these good things and I can't really go wrong. Mm -hmm. So, you know, since I've done all these good things and I can't really go wrong, I don't really feel like this is all that bad. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, sometimes people discount that and sometimes people don't think about that. And here's the sad part about it we keep putting these guys and gals but but probably guys more so in terms of just christian speakers we keep putting them on platforms 
and we keep feeding them with applause and we keep feeding them with fame mm-hmm. and celebrity and notoriety. And we keep turning them into these cults of personality. And then we keep sitting back and scratching our heads and going, huh, I wonder why they don't have any integrity. Mm. And it's kind of like, man, that's, <laughs> that's like getting somebody really drunk and going, man, I wonder why they can't drive. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not, I'm not saying like we're, we are to blame as a culture, but I mean, I I do feel like the whole idea of a Christian celebrity is an oxymoron. Like that shouldn't, that shouldn't even be a thing. I've got a quote for you. I've been, I've been thinking about this past actually few weeks, been pondering and meditating on this quote. It's from the Count of Zinzendorf. (laughs) Oh, Zinzendorf, the Moravian guy. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. But he he says, um, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Amen. What do you think? I mean, what do you think about that? Is I that- love it. I love it. I've, I've, well, okay. So I have two caveats. Number one, didn't happen for Count Zinzendorf, apparently. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> right? Because we're still talking about him. Um, he's the leader of the Moravian missionary movement. Um, but I think the sentiment is what should be in our hearts at all times. Mm-hmm. That, that we that we should not be after the glory. We should not be after the fame. We should not be after people remembering us. Like anytime I'm training a a pastor or discipling a pastor or talking to them about, you know, going into ministry, I said, Hey, here's the point of a sermon. The point of you preaching a good sermon is not for people to come up and go, wow, you did such a good job. Yeah. If you're, if you're preaching so that people will say, man, you did such a good job. Fail. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Epic fail. The point is people stop remembering that you're the one preaching and they start hearing the Holy spirit and they start hearing the voice of God. And when they think back on that sermon, they don't think back on when pastor Josh or pastor Gabe or whoever else was preaching. They go, man, I remember when I met the Holy spirit that day. And I, I heard the voice of God that day through his word in a powerful way. And they even forget who it was that was speaking it. Yeah. Um, because in the kingdom, yes, we will be rewarded by King Jesus but we're not going to be the main event, man. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be like, you know, oh, celebrity home tours in heaven, right? Where, you know, we got the angel Gabriel's like, on your right, there's Stephen Furtick's mansion, right? I mean, that's not, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, like, so this whole idea of let's get all the glory, let's get all the fame, let's build the biggest platform, let's build the biggest following here on earth is so temporary. Yeah. So in one sense, I I am like so I think deeply disturbed by this obsession we have with American celebrity and how that's crept into the church. But in another sense, I feel um, just real talk, like having a following on a platform while it can be dangerous can also be utilized for a lot of good. Mm -hmm. Because if you're speaking truth, if you're pointing people to Jesus, if you're testifying of the truth, you you want as many people as possible hearing that message. The problem sure. is it's dangerous. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think there there are there are people who have done it right and mm-hmm. have ended their lives, and we're not talking about them right now. Right. Um, be, because their you know their ministry didn't end in scandal, and I unfortunately worry sometimes that the ones that do end in scandal overshadow the ones that didn't. Yeah. Um, so so like yeah. A, the Billy, the Billy Graham's of the world that. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, yeah, there isn't, yeah. there isn't a juicy scandal behind Billy Graham's life. 
So we tend to forget some of the, the sacrifices that he made and some of the great, you know, but yeah, there was just, I mean, to, to think that Billy Graham wasn't capable of having scandal is, would be foolish of us. Um, because Billy Graham was in trapped in as much flesh as Ravi Zacharias was. And we have to always remember that these men and in, in ourselves included are so susceptible to sin because we're, we're stuck in this flesh, you know, uh-huh. and it, we should be constantly waging war. Um, and the, the spirit should be waging war in us, um, to get control and get the flesh under submission to God and his will. Yeah. That's an everyday battle, but yeah. <clears throat> Do you think that when we put leaders up on a pedestal, so often we forget that they are wrestling with their flesh just like anybody else is? They're wrestling against the temptations of the world and the traps of the enemy just like anybody else is. Do we have a, a tendency to almost um, like uh, deify them as yeah. human beings? Yeah, and I think I think we we you know okay maybe they have reached a point where they just their their overcoming temptation muscles are so strong that they don't even it's not a thing that crosses their mind anymore you know we we kind of have those thoughts about them when i think almost the opposite is true mm-hmm. i think that these men are probably so much more bombarded with temptation you know my dad always said this um anecdote i guess is that a man of god has the potential to fall on three things the gold, the girls, and the glory. Mm. And it's sometimes a combination of the three. But no. it's, so, it's so true, and I say it so often, that mm-hmm. money, uh, the gold, right, and the girls, um, <clears throat> you know, there's maybe a sexual nature to the scandal or the glory, mm-hmm. or, a co- like I said, a combination. And every single scandal has had an element of the one or all of these three Gs. Yeah, but it almost seems like someone uses their influence, they use their glory mm-hmm. to get more gold and to get more girls, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> like you yeah. get you get influence, you get power, and then when you get influence, you get power. People start um, in, within your own ministry basically giving you full access to things that other people wouldn't have access to. So Ravi had, I think, like a six-figure expense account that he could spend any way he wanted, no questions asked. Mm. And so what was he spending it on? Well, he was spending on basically prostitution, but because he's Ravi and because he has a ministry named after him because he had the glory, nobody mm. questioned how he used the gold, even if he's using the gold on the girls, you know? Um, yeah. Mm. And I think that's the, that's the danger of it, right? You get a platform, you get glory, you get applause, you get people knowing your name and tweeting your name. All of a sudden people are like, well, you would never do anything like that. He's, you know, Ravi Zacharias or he's this guy or he's that guy. And, and, and that's super dangerous. Um, yeah. So let's talk about this idea of like Christian cancel culture, because I think it's just so ironic to me. I have heard so many Christians rail against this idea of, Secular cancel culture, right? A country artist named Morgan Wallen is partying one night out on the town here in Nashville. And he comes back and he and his buddies are drunk. And he uses a racial slur. And what he's actually doing, he's actually quoting a hip-hop song as he uses a racial slur. And he has a neighbor that is upset because Morgan Wallen and his buddies are waking him up because... 
They're drunk, and his neighbor catches him on video using this racial slur as he's quoting a hip-hop song. And somehow that video is released, or the right kind of people see it, and all of a sudden Morgan Wallen is canceled. He's, he's dropped by his talent management agency. He's All his songs and albums are yanked off of Spotify and Apple Music, and all of these dates are cancel, 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 cancel. Everybody's condemning him, saying he's a racist, saying he's that. He he gets on Twitter. He tries to apologize. It was in poor taste. I shouldn't have said it. I'm so sorry. Too late. Doesn't matter. He's canceled. Irredeemable. And there are t- articles written up on him basically saying he's representative of the racist American South. He is a racist. And for some people, right, wrong, or indifferent, the name Morgan Wallen will always be associated with racism. Whether that's fair or not, right? So does this make sense, this kind of secular cancel culture we've got, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, like Dr. Seuss books or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which is hilarious to me that that's a thing, right? So the song WAP is considered empowering to women, and yet Dr. Seuss books are considered dangerous. So anyway, um, so it's funny. Christians rail against this, right? I can't believe they're, you know, cancel culture. However, if you go on YouTube, are you going on Twitter? Are you just going Google? And you you just type in any name of any Christian speaker and then type in the words false prophet after that. Like you're going to find a plethora mm-hmm. of content out there of bloggers and YouTubers and tweetists. So I'm going to call people with Twitter accounts tweetists. <laughs> Um, that are essentially doing the same thing, right? And and you have tremendous amount of content out there about Robbie, which I think a lot of it is is probably fair because it's helping people process it. It's talking about actual um, credible evidence of what he's done, but a lot of it is essentially people doing the same thing that others are doing towards folks like Morgan Wallen and Dr. Seuss. They're basically saying... Mm-hmm. He's done. He's. It, we're calling him out. We're canceling him. It's over. We're we're publicly um, dismissing everything he ever contributed to the church at large. Um, and it's not just with Robbie Zacharias. I mean, you could seriously, like I said, if if you have anybody that you're like, huh, I wonder if this guy is a good writer or a good speaker, just just go on Google and type in their name with the words "false prophet." You will probably find a blog of some dude saying. He's a false prophet. Here's why. Cancel, cancel, cancel. Mm-hmm. Do, do you feel like, is it just me or do you feel like we are obsessed with this kind of thing? <laughs> and we've mm-hmm. almost created like grievance-based theology, kind of like how Rush Limbaugh was known for grievance-based politics. We kind of have become known for grievance-based theology. Yeah, I think what what's fascinating is... um this this concept of cancel culture is not it's a very ancient concept that even the romans practiced and we have archaeological evidence of the romans um you know scratching out faces on on statues or even the egyptians um practice cancel culture where they would they would scratch off a face on a on a on a mummy because they didn't like that that king or there was something came up that that was displeasing about that king mm-hmm. um you know it's called uh what they call it in latin damn Damnatio memorai, I believe. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of it. Hmm. So basically, it means curse their memory. Yeah, it's it's yeah. like condemnation <clears throat> of memory. Yeah, where they would basically scratch out, um, you know, in like some mosaic, they'd actually pull the tiles out and then replace it with, 
you know, to, to fill it in kind of like an ancient version of Photoshop. But it's, <laughs> yeah, it's like, but we have this, we have this, um, fictitious notion, um, that changing the present or erasing, no, let me rephrase that erasing elements of the past can change, can change the present or the future. Hmm. So I think, I think we're doing ourselves a great disservice if we look at Ravi Zacharias and say, oh, don't even talk about it. No, don't even mention his name. You know, mm. let's just, let's just delete, just throw all his books away and everything. You know, I think, I think we're doing a great disservice because number one, there are, there are some, there is a, an abundance of wisdom that came from his ministry. Yeah. Um, but number two, uh, if, if every war general did not study the failures of past generals, then what is he more likely to do? He's more likely to repeat the failures of those past generals. You got to remember we're in warfare. Yeah. So what a good general does, what a good military leader does, sits down and he's like, I want to study wh- where where did they go wrong? Because I don't want to do the same thing. You know, like every single army that goes into Afghanistan doesn't leave on a good note, right? They, right, right. they usually tuck tail and run. And it's like, I want to study before I send troops into Afghanistan, you know, let's just say, I want to study the past. Where did they go wrong? Where did their, right. you know, where were they, where, where, where could they not defeat the enemy? Right. Um, and I think we need to do the same thing with some of these men. It's like, I want to learn from these men, right. not just in their wisdom, maybe that they, they put forth in their teaching and their ministry, but how did this happen to them so that I cannot repeat that same mistake? Yeah. So <clears throat> almost like a counterbalance to that in, in the new Testament, you see Paul and the other apostles calling out false prophets false teachers, what Paul often says are the enemies of the cross. So obviously if Paul and the apostles did that, there's a time where that's needed. There's a time where that's necessary. There's a time where we are as shepherds required to protect people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, let's speak to that. Like what, what's the difference between that and what we're talking about right now? I mean, because somebody listened to this was like, wait a second, I read a discernment blog. I read a watchdog blog Mm -hmm. and it tells me all the people who are heretics and yeah. so surely, you know, me just trying to be discerning isn't me being a cancel culture Nazi. Um, well, I wonder, what? I could be, I could be wrong too, <clears throat> but I wonder if Paul was talking and referring more, more so to people who are teaching a blatant false uh, gospel or a gospel or, or even doctrine that is, that is blatantly unscriptural and leading other people astray because of that, or people who are doing it just for monetary gain in other words i don't know that he's he's referencing like prophets or teachers who have secret sin and then bam all of a sudden it's found out you know because right i'm i am a teacher and i sin you know i am a i am a shepherd of a local congregation and i sin every day you know i i and i i'm always working to to be sanctified and be made in the image and conform to the likeness of my savior, but gosh, I stumble every single day. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know that that would qualify me as being a false teacher or a false prophet, but I do my best that when I do teach that I'm, I'm doing it to the letter of scripture as best in my ability. Yeah, no, I think that's a good distinction that there's one that's, you know, almost judging the fruit and the message and the other that's, mm-hmm. you know, pointing out, um, a specific failure in that leader's life. Um, mm-hmm. wh- what do you think about all the allegations 
that Ravi wasn't even a Christian, that he was a fraud the whole time. He wasn't saved. Like, does anybody watching from a distance, do we have the right, or or not even anybody watching from a distance, is anybody, do we have the right to look at somebody and say, well, they're, they're not saved. They clearly never were. They were a fraud the whole time. I mean, do we do we have the right to say that? Is that fair to say that? <laughs> to to quote uh, Barack Obama, uh, that is above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in Not one it. sense, Jesus calls us to be fruit inspectors, right? Sure, sure. He says you'll know them by their fruits. Um, not everybody yeah. that says Lord, Lord will enter into my kingdom. Only those who do the will of my Father. So there is a sense in which we are called to judge the fruit of other people, but... Mm-hmm. There's also this tension within that concept biblically that man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Um, and sin has this very, very insidious effect of blinding us. Does that make sense? Like it mm-hmm. always takes us further than we wanted to go, keeps us longer than we intended to stay, and requires more from us than we were willing to pay. Mm-hmm. And in the con- and the whole process of that, it's blinding us to what it's actually doing in our lives. So. Could it be that maybe he began his ministry genuine and for the right reasons, and then somewhere along the line he fell into sin? Yeah, um, absolutely. Like yeah. a King David or or like a, a Noah with a vineyard, you know? Yeah, and it just grew under the just under the surface, and it grew and it grew and grew. It was out of his control at that point. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not in a position to say he was not saved or anything like God. God forbid I ever try to make that kind of emphatic claim but i you know there are there are people and you probably have experienced as well where people will come up to you in your church and they'll say what do you think about such and such a teacher yeah give us and a I hot would, take <laughs> yeah and i always i always say look just judge the fruit if you see yeah. and i tell people if you can if you see in a in a teacher or a leader in the faith a consistent lack or deficiency in one of the, one or all of the fruits of the spirit then just 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 don't watch them. Don't listen. Don't ingest their fruit, um, and you'll be fine. You know, yeah. and just familiarize yourself with with Galatians five and the fruit of the spirit. And if you see a lack of that, a consistent lack of that, then then that's not for you. You know, but it doesn't mean that you have to get online and condemn them and cancel them and call them out and say them they're a false teacher. Just just don't listen to them. That's that's always right. an option for you. Isn't that an interesting concept? Like if there's something you don't like, just don't do it. Don't mm-hmm. hop on your social media and, and mm-hmm. let the whole world know they're also not supposed to do it either. But there sure. is a balance to that, obviously. Sure, like, absolutely. I don't, I don't want, um, you know, people in my church going to reading the Book of Mormon, right? Yeah, and I have no problem whatsoever saying <clears throat> Kenneth Copeland has some serious issues going on there. What? You know, people on. like, you know, I'm just like. There are some guys where you're just like, oh yeah, that uh, that's fair game yeah. right there. That's some low-hanging I think, fruit. I think just maybe he's either got a demon or he's mentally unsound. So one or the other. But yeah. yeah. There's some pretty black and white situations. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. I I think it's it's such a man, here's the challenge. And and if you've listened to this podcast, you've probably heard me say this. I've been on the receiving end of of criticism from online critics, and it sucks. It hurts. It's not yeah. fun. And the hardest part about it is when someone posts something online, it is instant, it's global, and it's permanent. Unless mm-hmm. somebody has access to that comment to take it down, right? And the challenge with 
that is, you know, back in the day, back a hundred years ago, newspapers could print anything they wanted, right? Mm-hmm. Up to a point, because you could slant, you could uh, sue somebody for libel if they were printing something about you untrue. But you can't do that with online content in the sense of anybody can say anything. And for the most part, they've got the free speech to do it for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. I know big tech companies are cracking down all that stuff. But when it comes to things like this, what sucks is to be misunderstood as something you're not and labeled as something you're not based on a soundbite or based on a misunderstanding of something you said in a sermon somewhere or in an article somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a part of me that I just get really, I, I think like I'm really, really weary of keyboard warriors right now. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just me. Maybe I just need therapy. I don't know. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm <laughs> I just, I, I don't really see the need for them right now. Keyboard warriors. Like, and I don't know that, you know, people that are a keyboard warrior, they could give me all the reasons why, you know, it says to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered for all the saints. But I, I would just go back and say, Hey man, I I don't know if, if that's, if that verse is like referring to the platform that you think you have, I don't think that reverse (laughs) verse is referring to you getting on every YouTube video, every live stream, every church that you disagree with and you telling everybody why they're a heretic and a false prophet. Yeah. Like when when people, people from the outside, look at the body of Messiah tearing itself to pieces through criticism and stuff like that. You know, I think, does that do more damage than, you know, you teaching something that may or may not be slightly, you know, it, you know, uh, it's not, it's not how I've envisioned the rapture, you know, or something right. like that, you know, it's right, like, right, well, what right, does right, more, right. what does more damage in that situation? You tearing me apart and, and criticizing me and people seeing that. But I think it. This may be another um, Zinzendorf uh, quote. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. You're all, you're all about but, that. Count Zinzendorf, right? <laughs> but I think I think Count Count Zinzendorf said the following. I think know, it was it was actually Count Chocula that said this. Yeah. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> he that it's 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 easy to smell a rotten egg, but it's a lot harder to lay a better one. Ooh, it's, that's a it's good very point. true. You know, it's so easy to yeah. call out and criticize people. You, you know, my favorite D.L. Moody quote. Quote, D.L. Moody yeah. used to say, when people criticize him, he would say, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Zing. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's talk about this whole thing of celebrity. Like, so obviously there's absolutely no excuse or justification for sinful decisions when a well-known leader that is public and has a massive platform and has a worldwide ministry and a huge influence. Um, and they make that decision. There's no excuse. They made that decision. Mm-hmm. They, I think it, um, Josh McDowell, uh, if, if somebody's interested in kind of finding out more and a, a kind of a more well thought out, I think response from somebody that actually knew Robbie and kind of understood a little bit of the pressures of public ministry, Josh McDowell and his son, Sean, McDowell put out a YouTube video where Josh McDowell is basically just reflecting on this. And it was just, it was really helpful. So um, Mm -hmm. if if you're looking for something, um, my friend Joe Brown sent me a link to that and I watched that and it was super helpful. But one of the things he said, I thought this was interesting. He goes, if you can't handle the heat, step out of the spotlight. Mm -hmm. Like you you knew when you got into the spotlight that it was going to be hard. Um, But at the same time, 
there's no excuse, right? You, you, you knew it was going to be hard, but there's no excuse. If you didn't think you could handle the pressure of that, you didn't need to be in the spotlight. And, and essentially what he's saying is the, the spotlight and the demands of being well-known, in other words, the celebrity, um, bring about a whole new set of temptations and difficulties. Mm-hmm. And so we've kind of talked about what those are, the, the glory, the, the gold, the girls. Um, so mm-hmm. since, since this is so dangerous, this whole idea of being well-known and people seeing you and people following you, um, should a Christian leader stay away from recognition or public visible leadership with a large audience? Is that something that, you know, we should just run from as hard and fast as possible? I mean, what, what do you think about that? I mean, like you said earlier, there's a, there's a lot of good that can come from that. I think, I think what we need to think about doing though is for every level up that we experience in popularity or influence, we need to, we need to um, equally increase the amount of accountability that we have in our life and the amount of transparency we have in our life. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of these situations could be uh, avoided if there was an increase in accountability and transparency. And so, like, there should not be this, like, you know, my wife doesn't have access to my web browsing history or my or my phone or my text messages. You know, that's that's like baseline kind of stuff. Right. Um, you need to have men in your life if you're a man who can ask you, you know, what is going on in your life? Is there, you know, any secret, you know, it, that you can be completely open and they have the grace to to say, "Hey, let's let's pray about this. Let's let, you know, I'm going to call you on a regular basis and you call me and we, we need to be people who do that and allow each other the opportunity to be open and transparent. But yeah, I mean, if, oh. if you want to get up on a horse and put brass on your shoulders and, and, and look the part, that's fine, but get ready because the snipers are going to be aiming at you. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to hear mm-hmm. those bullets whizzing by a lot more. Yeah. So, and I think, I think another thing too is, um, if, if you're sitting up on that horse with the brass on your shoulders, like I said, you are a big target you need to be thinking about if I'm taken out by the enemy in whatever situation that, that, that happens, who's going to get back up on this horse? Am I, am yeah. I investing in people behind me who are willing to take the reins of this organization and move it forward? Mm-hmm. And you see, you see a, a lack of that as well sometimes in, in some of these. Yeah. And, and that deeply concerns me whenever you have a ministry or a church and it's built around the talents and the personality of one person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just like, okay, so what's going to happen when that person croaks? Or if something like this, God forbid, ever happens. Yeah. A person has yeah. a moral failure. Okay, well, see you, church. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, and that's happened. Yeah. You know, you've got a high-profile leader, and he's rocking and rolling. He's got 20,000, 30,000 people in his church, and then he falls from grace, and then this church dissipates overnight, right? Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that is true. It needs to be about more than just one person. Accountability is crucial. Um, I think it was in that Josh McDowell video. He said that every man and every leader especially, but every man, every Christian man needs to have covenant eyes, accountability software on their computer and on all their electronic devices. Hmm. He goes, that's just a bare minimum. He goes, you, that, that's just like a no brainer, right? Yeah. Um, that, that, 
at least that basic level of accountability is happening. But like you said, it's, it's more than that. Um, I, I jotted down some things just kind of preparing um, of things that maybe we could do that could prevent us from stepping in to these kind of disqualifying serious lifestyle failures, not just as pastors, not just as leaders, not just as church elders or um, ministry leaders, but just as, like, here's the reality, man. You don't have to be a pastor up on a stage to have an affair devastate and ruin your entire life or the lives of people around you. Right. I mean, just being a dad and a husband, mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about one sinful decision made in a moment of passion can ruin the lives of your children for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And so like the brevity of that and the weight of that, and the seriousness of that, I think should be something that challenges all of us as men and women of faith to take this stuff serious. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a couple things that, that I thought, I think this is super important. First is, and you mentioned it, choosing and actively pursuing accountability and community. Like we have to be the ones that choose that. Because anybody can say like, okay, I've got these two or three accountability partners. Okay, that, that's cool. But what do you tell them? <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Do you truly give them access to your life or are they just kind of there to kind of check the box? Yeah. So I think that's probably the biggest. Um, second is committing to ongoing confession and repentance of sins. So like I never want anybody that knows me in my leadership circle or anybody that knows me, even in, you know, discipling relations or anything to have this um, mythology created in their minds about me that I am somehow above confessing and repenting of sin because mm. I've graduated out of ever sinning because I'm the guy on a platform that straps a microphone in my face. <laughs> Does that make sense? Well, yeah. And what a great opportunity to model repentance and model confession of sin and teach people what it looks like to stand up in front of a group of people and be like, guys, I, you know, I have to confess I was, I was wrong in this, or I did this and it. Yeah. I think that's a great opportunity to teach other people how to do that and have the humility to do that. Well, and I think like it's scary for, um, for anybody to be vulnerable, I think, but here's the important thing. I think the opposite of pride is not like this, like, mousy um well, i'm not all that special like i don't think that's the i don't think that's the opposite of pride this false humility of just mm-hmm. like well it's all the lord i think the opposite of pride is vulnerability mm. of truly choosing to be vulnerable with the struggles and the shortcomings that you have mm. and i say that being someone that at times can struggle with vulnerability but knowing that when i'm walking in a place of pride what is a preemptive strike on pride as being vulnerable mm-hmm. with people that I'm around of the fact that, man, I'm, I'm struggling. I've blown it in this area. I'm struggling with this. I need prayer. I need accountability. Please help me with this. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what you see in a lot of these guys that have a pretty epic, massive falling is you don't really see a lot of that. Kind of seems like it, it stopped at some point. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I think Stacy made a really good point too. You know, talking about being in warfare, she's you know said, um, you know, King David should have, as the king, been on the front lines with his men 
sleeping out under the stars and directing his troops. And it's getting himself out and away from the fight in just that kind of um, that idleness uh, is what landed him on a rooftop spying on Bathsheba as she's bathing, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the husband of Bathsheba is out doing the thing the king is supposed to be doing. And I think we as we as leaders and shepherds need to remember that we are in this fight. And the moment that we let our guard down, the moment that we get comfortable and think, okay, I've got I've got it all going. I've got the salary. I've got the retirement plan. I've got this or whatever. That's that's the moment the enemy is gonna is gonna kick us in the gut, and yeah. we need to make sure we keep our defenses up. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think another thing too is keeping in mind the consequences of failure. Like I said earlier, mm-hmm. like if if you know when we're we started talking about Ravi, we were talking about the fact that you and I, who have both never met Ravi, we don't know him, we never met him, I've never mm-hmm. seen him speak in person, but you and I can honestly say that when we saw him or we at least saw the allegations of, of what he had done, it felt like we both had gotten kicked in the gut. Yeah. So think about what his children and his widow and those who worked for his ministry and those who came to faith under his ministry must be feeling like right right now. Mm-hmm. So instead of us, you know, using that to say, oh my gosh, Robbie, how could you? I think a better response to that would be if I chose something sinful, who would be impacted and who would be affected by my sin? Yeah. Like what would that do to my wife? What would that do to my children? What would that do to to my church family? Mm. Yeah. And the, and the, you'd have to be a pretty brazen in your selfishness to to think about all that all the consequences of your decisions and sin and to still to move forward with it. Yeah. yeah. That's tough. That is, man. So kind of a, I don't want to say paranoia, but kind of a healthy, mm-hmm. healthy fear, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't have an unhealthy fear of snakes, but if I have a Cobra that's riding shotgun with me in the front seat of my truck, I'm an idiot, you know? <laughs> um, I think the other thing is guarding against this entitlement mentality or reading our own press. Hmm. Like um, the Bible has a lot to say about flattery and the emptiness, emptiness of flattery. Um, and I think even though the Bible talks about how flattery doesn't really mean anything, you know, a lot of people are going to be there and tell you, Oh my pastor, that was the best sermon I have ever heard. You know, <laughs> um, the truth is they don't really mean it. I mean, they do mean it, but they don't mean it because it's it's empty flattery in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But I think our flesh loves flattery. We yeah. love it. I mean, we just, we love it. We crave it. We long for it because that's a part of our fallen nature that still wants to be God instead of allowing God to be God in our lives. We want the praise. We want the glory. That's what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. But still in our, our flesh, we still want that. Mm. The problem is if we hunger for that, we long for that, we live for that, we we rise on that, and that's what makes our day good, and that's what motivates our ministry, just that flattery and praise of other people. It can create in us this mentality of, well, I've done all these good things, so therefore I deserve this. 
And I think we have to be so, 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 so careful of that. Yeah. 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 Right. And the last thing, stewarding, stewarding our relational lives, stewarding our emotional lives, stewarding our mental lives, and stewarding our spiritual lives well. Like I would like to think if his walk with Jesus was as it should have been, he would have been just absolutely appalled at the thought of doing something like this. And then, um, you know, getting up and preaching, but apparently he wasn't, you know? Yeah. Now, what do you, what do you mean by stewarding? Is that like a constant maintenance? Is that like a, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I think a, a constant, you know, not necessarily this idea of just like striving and working, although I do think working is important, but like keeping a constant eye on that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like that whole, like we talked about this in the marriage episode, your your marriage is like a garden. You got to make sure there's no weeds. You got to make sure it's not growing up and it's going untended. Like yeah, if you find yourself like in a place of complete and utter exhaustion, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and you're drained and man, you're just going through the motions. And every time you get up to preach, you're just like, you're going on autopilot and you're playing a part and it's more of a theater production than it is an actual act of you using your gifts to encourage the body of Christ out of an act of worship for your Messiah and love for the people of God. You need to be careful. Yeah. Because you are setting yourself up to fall. Hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I think there's a whole other episode of stewarding that well. But, you know, I think we need to have real friends as pastors. (laughs) I even think going to see a counselor is a good idea. Mm. I think we need to make sure we're keeping that discipline of praying and reading the Bible devotionally, not just for study. Um, All those things are good. So... My five-year-old is sitting in my lap right now, and he's tapping <laughs> on my shoulder. Aiden, do you want to say something? Grace said something in the last episode. Do you want to say something on the microphone? Say something. No. Okay, he doesn't want to say something, but he just said something. So it's it's really funny because I haven't been looking at the camera tab. It's been I've been I had the show notes open, and so when I switch over to the camera tab, there's suddenly a child sitting in your lap. I'm like, wow, that come from? <laughs> I got two more that are here. You grew a child. Uh, yeah. It's always funny when we start recording these episodes. It's kind of like I'm on a timer. One of my kids is going to wake up and be like, what's that voice? And then the door of my office is going to mm-hmm. swing open and a sleepy kid in their PJs is going to wander in and want to sit in my lap. So, yeah. Hey, can we do this as we close this episode? Um, I'd like to say a word of prayer for the victims of Ravi Zacharias. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to pray for the family. And I want to pray for the ministry that um, God does a work of healing and God shows us grace in this. And, you know, we believe as followers of Christ that we have a God that works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And Satan would love nothing more than for us to continue to be an accuser because that's what Satan does. He's an accuser of the brethren, but that's not what, Uh, we see the character of Christ being so um, yeah so 
can I can I pray for Ravi? Yeah, and yeah, the, let's do the whole it. situation. All right, so Father, I just pray that you would show your grace and your power and your strength in a huge way to those who are victims of um, this horrible, horrible, horrible tragedy and these sinful decisions that were made. I pray for um, these women who were abused. I pray for the uh, thousands of people, um, maybe even millions of people right now that are disillusioned and confused and hurt and angry. I pray in the name of Jesus that God, in this moment, you would lift up their eyes to see you as the author and perfecter of their faith and the Savior and the Messiah. And Lord, forgive us for times when we put broken, fallen men and women on pedestals and we try to look up to them as our king. Lord, you are our one king. You are our one Lord. You are our one Savior. And so I ask that you would give us the grace to continue to look to you and not to others. Um, we pray right now for the family of Ravi. Lord, I cannot imagine what his wife and children must be feeling, the hurt, the heartache, the devastation. Lord, would you right now in this moment just surround them with your peace. I pray for the ministry of Ravi Zacharias. I pray, Lord, that um, you would give them wisdom to know how to move forward and what to do about these resources that Ravi contributed. Lord, we thank you for his life. We thank you for the good things that he did. At the same time, Lord, we pray that you would give us grace um, to, Lord, not, not justify or excuse the sinful decisions that he made, but, Lord, for that to be a lesson for us to be responsible with our lifestyles and to steward our lives well as we look to walk in obedience to you, God. So keep your hand on this situation, Lord, and protect your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, man. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, I was going to do an outro with my 1920s radio voice, but... Oh. <laughs> just not in the mood anymore. Just not in the mood anymore. I got a five-year-old sitting in my lap with a slinky, so... <laughs> all right. Well, you and Aiden have a wonderful day. Thank you all for listening. Absolutely. Aiden, you want to say bye? Bye. <laughs> all right. See you guys. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.